Well, good afternoon. Welcome to everyone to this July 12th edition of the Ag Market Network monthly cotton market teleconference. I'm Pat McClatchy. Today's program is brought to you by BASF. They are our longtime sponsor of our program. They are, as you know, the owners of FiberMax and Stoneville Cottonseed. We appreciate uh, them, them making this program possible for you because we know it means a lot to you. Uh, the, uh, the cotton panel today is being led by Dr. O.A. Cleveland, and he'll join Dr. John Robinson and Kip Butts and Gerald Nieper. Uh, O.A., thanks for leading us off today. Hey, thanks, Pat. I appreciate it. Just as we get started, my first comment will be what you said before we opened up totally, and that is to leave plenty of time or suggested that hopefully we could get some comments from people listening in to give us a good feel for what they're seeing out in the field. I know I've been particularly surprised at what I've seen across the, uh, not been outside the uh, imaginary lines of the state of Mississippi, but I get uh, similar reports from southeast and southwest as well. But uh, USDA did, uh, as I think Gerald suggested in his newsletter last week, not to expect much difference. We didn't get really a lot of difference. We had uh, uh, USDA did formally reduce the, the planted acres based on the June report. In this supply-demand uh, report, it did give us a, a larger crop, actually a much, much more than I expected myself, 800,000 bales, uh, which uh, is based on, they said, the good rains that they've had in, in Texas and throughout the belt. I did not realize the rains throughout the belt had been that what that good. Uh, actually, I thought they were somewhat excessive, but... Uh, they think that, and they're the experts. Uh, we still have some dryness along the Texas-New Mexico border, at least from a subsoil standpoint, uh, those one or two counties deep on either side. But uh, by and large, an 800,000 bale increase, a rather large increase. But uh, they did what one would expect. They took uh, 400,000 bales of that half of it and moved it into exports. And the other 400,000 was left to move in the carryover. So uh, the carryover is still uh, 3.3 million bales as we look at 2021, excuse me, 21, 22 projections. And uh, that's still a teeter-totter situation with respect to prices. It's not a very large carryover. In fact, it's uh, somewhat abnormally small, I would say. Looking at the world numbers, and that's where in my opinion, that's where we're getting the hook in today's uh, price increase. USDA did take uh, world ending stock uh, down. Uh, we we were went, we were looking at the situation uh, of the last month of about 89.3 million bale carryover, and they took that down. Oh, and just round numbers: 1.6 million bales, a million and a half bales, down to 87. Point uh, 7 million bales, so a, a substantial decrease in world ending carryover, so that gives us a little bit of boost in, uh, in, in, in prices. They, uh, I, I will have to confess here, Pat, you have vague knowledge of it. I've spent most of the morning at ceasefire. My phone has not been working, and uh, I, as a consequence, literally only about 10 minutes ago did I actually see the report, so I'm a little bit fuzzy on some of the numbers, but uh, main, so typically, they did work, those, uh, USDA did increase world 
uh, production, uh, about a half a million bales, a little more than that, excuse me, it, it, yes, in, increased uh, world production roughly a half million bales, but they also increased world consumption about a half a million bales. The major change that USDA made in carryover uh, resonated with beginning stocks. They dropped the beginning stocks about 1.6 million bales, 1.5 million bales, and that's what led to the ending stocks decline uh, of such substantial amounts. I'm going to leave it there and let the other guys uh, fill in the blanks. There are several blanks that do need to be filled in, but uh, at this bottom line, I'm still very positive of the market. Go ahead. Thank you very much. All right. Let's open it up for everybody uh, to comment. Well, I know I left out some stuff, so somebody's <laughs> bound to have something, or am I the only one that even bothered to look at the report? <laughs> They're just polite, though. Eh? They, they, they don't want to go first. John, Since what do you when think? have they been polite? <laughs> it's a new thing. <laughs> John, All three of you. Well, so I always summed up the, the U.S. Uh, changes in the in the new crop um, uh, to me it was kind of back and forth on the production side so yeah they they uh, they made the acreage adjustment everybody was expecting that and like OA I, I was not expecting such a large drop in abandonment you know at this stage what they're doing is adjusting their assumptions about abandonment and yield so th they changed their assumptions and dropped the abandonment number from 20% to 10%, that's a that's a pretty big change. I wasn't expecting that much, and I really wasn't expecting the 33-pound per acre drop in, in yield. Uh, I was remarking before the call started, the only way I can understand that is what they're saying is we think a whole bunch of dry land is going to get harvested after all, but it, the yield won't be so high as to prevent prevent it from pulling down the average um, is the only way that makes sense to me. But, you know, it's really neither here nor there. This is this is July, like the previous month, like the June report. You know, they, they base everything off historical averages, and they make assumptions about how to come up with that average. It's all going to be moot starting next month, and particularly in September when they go out and they actually measure, you know, they get RMA abandonment data, and they NASP gets yield data from the field. Which you know in Texas that really they don't really cover the state of Texas with that until September, but uh, eventually we're going to know. Um, but for what they reported this time, you know, like I say, I was a little surprised, but there it is, and we'll have to wait for wait for the real data. Gerald or or uh, Kip? Well, <clears throat> well, I'll just jump in and have just a quick comment on this. Uh, I was the U.S. numbers. We've, we've covered those pretty well, uh, and I, I think that just looking outside the U.S., the ending stock number always brought uh, brought it up is is a step in the right direction uh, as far as sort of stabilizing the supply demand situation and and kind of putting us in a better situation. Um, prices today moved a little bit higher. And I think that's an indication this report could be seen as kind of status quo to modestly bullish. But the the point I thought that John made about 
a lot of uncertainty regarding crop size is just going to uh, just going to stay with us for a while. But but they increased uh, India mill use both last year and this year, half a million bales each, and uh, they started to bump the um, Vietnam up. I think they did last year and this year as well. It, to me, that's just an indication. Those are two pretty key countries for for mill use, and I, I think that's an indication that global demand is still very strong, and we haven't seen any sort of a slowdown in that. So I think that's um, the takeaway is, for me, lower ending stocks and a still strong uh, global economy out there, or global textile economy, I should say. So... I mean, there was a small change in production in Pakistan, which is, again, I mean, they're a big consumer of cotton, so that would uh, suggest, and USDA did increase their imports a little bit, but that could be a little stronger as we go on, too. So I'm sure General has some thoughts. I'm anxious to hear what he has to say. <laughs> Gerald? Gerald? <laughs> Sorry, I had guys on mute, <laughs> or I had me on mute. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, I apologize for that. <laughs> the, uh, I, you know, I was a little surprised that USDA took up the crop eight hundred thousand bales, but when you, you know, you lift, you lift harvested acreage by eight hundred and seventy thousand, which probably when you net it all out, it was all in Texas. You know, probably Texas was up nine hundred thousand acres on a. On the on the uh, harvested acres and everybody else was down a little bit because you know some of the acres were down in, in the mid south and the southeast. Um, you know you're replacing you know two bale cotton with you know a bale and a half cotton. Nine hundred thousand acres is quite a bit. So I mean to to drop yield from eight forty seven down to eight fourteen was was not too surprising, but still I I, I thought that was rather uh, you know aggressive of them. Um, but, uh, you know, it looks like we're going to need all this cotton. You know, a bigger crop is not necessarily negative. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing today that one reason that these prices are pretty stout, and I have no verification of this, is that the Chinese reserves are back in the market. Um, and uh, if, it, if there's any, any truth to that at all, you know, we're going to need a larger crop to support, you know, the larger export number. And... Uh, I just wish that maybe they had lifted that export number up a little bit more than, than the 400,000 bales that they had gotten. Um, consumption, you know, around the world, even with the U.S. basically out of cotton right now, um, I'm hearing that these, these countries, particularly Pakistan, Bangladesh, um, Vietnam to a lesser extent, but uh, um, they're buying cotton turkey. They're buying cotton like there's no tomorrow. So there is very, very strong demand out there, and, and uh, I'm just glad we've got a larger crop so that we can take advantage of, of that. So, I, you know, just because we've got a larger crop does not necessarily mean that prices have to, uh, to be on the defensive. Gerald, what do, you, what do you hear about crop conditions in China? Um, they're off. I mean, you know, it, it was too cold and it was too hot in Xinjiang province. It had a lot of, you know, stormy weather over there, sandstorms, snowstorms, you, you know, you name it. But, you know, they kind of had similar weather last year, and they end up, you know, with a yield that was 
200 pounds above the previous year. So uh, bottom line is I don't know what's going on in, in, in China. Um, certainly in eastern China, you know, it seems like they've had some very excessive rains. Um, of course, you have so little cotton over there, it's hard to tell if that's really impacting, you know, the uh, the, the eastern crop. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 think, I think they are struggling. Um, that's all I can really say versus, versus a year ago. Um, but, you know, how, how big of a struggle or how much that's going to cost them, it's anybody's guess. Okay. OA, here's a question for you. Uh, what is the situation as far as, uh, as, far as China and the cotton and, the, and the, uh, with regard to slave labor and, 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 and not wanting to allow cotton into Europe and even in the U.S.? Uh, where are we on that? Has that subsided some, or is that still a hot topic? Oh, Pat, thank you. Excellent question. I think it's still a, a very hot topic. And for it rephrase that, it's a growing hot topic. I think more and more people, uh, I don't can't tell you right now, more and more countries, but it's widespread in Europe. It's certainly much more youth-worthy in the United States. Uh, and we're beginning to see it surface more and more. I think as much as anything, it tells the story that we now are now seeing uh, the Chinese at its very highest uh, political levels and governmental levels are complaining about Europe and the United States and, uh, and the fact that we are talking about it and sanctioning China based on that. So it's a, it's a hot topic, and it will remain a very hot to- topic, and it will continue to be effective. That was... One thing that surprised me a bit with the USDA numbers and the fact that they lowered Chinese uh, uh, trade, that uh, suggesting that China will not import as much cotton. Uh, I think they will have to. There we see day after day, even though it's new, that the sales out of the reserve are maxed on a daily basis. So I think there's still extremely strong demand for cotton, and they'll have to continue to get foreign cotton. Uh, I'll use that word initially, to fulfill their needs. Now, they're not going to get hardly any, if any, out of Australia because they have declared Australia persona non grata as far as the globe goes. Uh, They'll continue to get cotton out of Brazil. They'll take some Indian cotton, but I can't help but think that uh, they'll be uh, in the market for U.S. cotton. And as Gerald mentioned, he's hearing the comments about China being active. I think we've actually heard those comments for a good oh, 10 days to two weeks now that China is going to be uh, buying U.S. cotton. And as Gerald also said, there's not much cotton out there now to buy. But uh, uh, as it becomes available, they'll buy and buy. And they have to do this to get back to it again. They, they have to get non-Chinese uh, cotton in order to spin the yarn to make the textiles that they need to export to the U.S. and to, um, the, uh, the, to, to the Western world because the Western world is saying no Xinjiang cotton. Yep, how, do you. You see, how do you see energy prices and, and, and the effect on, on, uh, on cotton? Well, I mean, any time the prices go up, it impacts us. And I do think that um, we're going to see – the uncertainty regarding the energy right now, I believe, is the OPEC situation and the between the uh, the 
uh, UAE and the and Russia and Saudi and all that. So I think that's going to continue to be sort of a um, ongoing dialogue. But the, we're we're in an inflationary type environment at least in the short term, and so that in and of itself should translate into reasonably favorable fixed prices for cotton. Now, I think that doesn't mean we're going to go sky high, but it, it's going to keep us from going down significantly, at least in the short to medium term. And that's my thoughts at this point. And I wanted to mention, too, I think OA touched on it, and I'm, I just want to make sure we're clear that the, the first week of the uh, of the reserve sales uh, was sold out each day. Everything offered was bought, which is an indication, I think, that the Chinese mills need cotton, I think, and I think we've all said that, but I just, I don't, I don't know that we can, uh, I, I think that needs to be forefront in people's minds that they do need cotton and they do need foreign cotton. And, and this, we, we, we sometimes forget we've still got this phase one program with us, uh, with China, which really hasn't been adjusted much, which would imply that China uh, for some other reasons, may want to go ahead and buy a little bit more U.S. than what they would ordinarily, simply because, uh, as Owe mentioned, and you had questions uh, about the Xinjiang situation, that could be helpful from a political perspective. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk more, but let's we want to open these lines up and let people comment <laughs> or ask questions of our panel. Uh, we think it always makes for a better discussion when we can do that. So I'm going to unmute this line, and you know how this works. I'll ask the question, you know, you know, come on, and anything you want to say. And then after you do it, we're going to mute the lines because there's just a lot of – when we unmute it, it opens up a lot of, a lot of, a lot of noise. So if you've got a question, uh, please submit that question and just – all right, I messed that up. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna unmute the lines, and here we go. Mute. Any questions you've got out there? Any statements you'd like to make about, especially West Texas, about what's going on uh, with regard to your crop? Please go ahead and, and ask. Pat, this is Bryce over there by Lubbock. Um, just to let y'all know, uh, we are very far behind on our cotton. It's anywhere from a month to two weeks behind. Uh, our earliest planted stuff is typically blooming right now by July 4th, and we're still a week away at best from seeing blooms, and that's just north of Lubbock. Uh, we're, we're really wet. We got three inch rain last night on some stuff to nothing, but it's it's really wet, and it's really, really wet to the south and to the southwest of Lubbock. Uh, and they're in the same boat we are. We're just really far behind. Um, we could still make a really good crop if we get a good fall, but if an early freeze comes, we are in trouble. And it's going to be hard to hit the higher, the higher yields on our irrigated because we're just we're so far behind. But if we have a good fall, it's none of it's going to matter. Uh, just to give you some facts here, we average at this time from January to right now about 9.72 inches of rain at the level surface. We have 12.17 right now, and that's at the airport, and they've got a lot more rain. 
to the south and to the southwest of Lubbock. So their crops are adequate on moisture, but we need a lot of heat units. That's about all I got to say. Okay. Um, we're going to... We're going to go ahead and... Uh, uh, that came uh, from Bryce Till. Bryce is farms just north of Lubbock. He is, for those of you that don't know him, Ed Till is his father, and Wayne Till was his grandfather, and they farmed there for a long time. Any any of our speakers, any any anything they want to say, any comments they want to make? Pat away. Uh, I just uh, I was very interested in that, and uh, uh, you can't help but be taken back by those comments this regarding the situation this time of year. Well, I see much the same. Uh, certainly in Mississippi, I hear much the same across Georgia. I talked to one of our premier producers the other day, and he just, he was just bemoaning the fact of lack of heat heat units and. Uh, this is the middle of July, essentially, and uh, it ought to be 98 degrees out there and ought to be about 87 at night or 85 at night by the time it cools down. And I don't know what it is out there today, but it feels like it's about 85. It feels like uh, maybe 91 is the hottest it's been all year. And it feels like at night it cools down into the high 70s. And, of course, cotton likes that, but it likes a little heat in the sun. In, in in the in the daytime and it's just cloudy, it's rainy, uh, just day after day after day, or certainly week after week. Now we did get some rain throughout the mid south uh, this past weekend, and we needed it. It gotten quite dry, which it started to water some. But uh, going back into Texas, I thinking about this insurance price and the insurance cotton, and thinking about plantings. Uh, we. Planted a lot more brown bag seed this year than ever before, and uh, lo and behold, it looks like some of this brown bag seed is going to make. So uh, you got to really wonder what kind of what kind of yield that's going to give. Now, I'll give it to NAS and USDA; they are the experts. Though I felt like NAS just totally abandoned the cotton this past year. I'm going to try to go to my Mississippi NAS office next week see if they'll let me in. They make call the sheriff to escort, escort me out, but just try to catch up on some things that apparently I've missed if I can get an appointment with them. But uh, it, it's I, I'm just scared to death of a crop this size. I just don't see it. As Gerald says, man, we could sure use it. Uh, we could sell it. We could sell it. We could sell it again. But I just don't see it coming. I hope we, will, hope we do get it. But I'm scared also, as I mentioned, this brown back seat. Okay. We're going to try. We're going. To, we're going to open up one more time, and we'll unmute uh, the phones and see if we've got any other questions. Any questions you've got of our panel? Please go ahead. All right. And if, 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 if I can interrupt, if somebody that just follows here that you know don't ask a question, just tell us what county you're in. Don't necessarily introduce yourself. If you don't want to, but tell us what county you're in. What your crop look like? That didn't work either, Pat. Sorry. <laughs> well, uh, sometimes, sometimes you do such a good job. There's just nothing else to say. So. 
All right. Well, we're going to hey, go Pat. in. Yeah. Hey, this is Brad Heffington at Littlefield. Hey, hey Brad. Hey, we, we've got a crop for the first time in several years, but it's just, I mean, we're not even, I mean, always talking about getting 70s at night. We're in the 60s at night right now. And we didn't get some rain to arrive at the end of May, but we did get our crop up. We had to replant some of this couple of showers or in some seed, but it's, uh, man, there's a lot of grain around here. For Before that, a lot of people's cotton got ruined, and it's just, it's just all over the board here. It's, there's nothing consistent, but it's all late. That's consistent. I mean, right now, most of the cotton's just starting to square. So we're hoping to have a bloom the first of August on most of it. So, uh, what is your, what is your but we do have some fair moisture. But you know, we were in D4 extreme drought before this, so even being a little above moisture doesn't replenish that. We're gonna need some timely rains to finish it out. Which, you know, that could happen, uh, and we're hoping it will. It seems a little wetter pattern, but. I don't remember really how to describe this crop. It's a just really different year than we've ever had, and I've been doing this 34 years. So, uh, except that it is kind of yellow looking because it needs some sun and some heat. <laughs> but uh, the dryland areas have got some good rain, but I'm afraid the irrigated part is where it's hurt the worst. And most acres lost. But that's kind of a summary of things around here. All right, well, thank you. Uh, any, any other comments from any other counties? All right. Not a, not a comment, but just a, a quick question. If you have uh, any sort of indication of what's going on uh, with the Indian production this year. All right, Indian production, OA or Gerald? Well, I don't remember the number. Like it was about a million acres less, uh, bales less than USDA. Go ahead. Um, you know, India is another one of those uh, countries that's kind of hard to, to read, but I, I do think that the, the northern uh, cotton areas have not had a, a timely monsoon of late, and, and they are needing moisture to get their crop in. So there's some belief that... Uh, that maybe you don't get as much cotton planted, um, and and you know whatever is planted, you know it 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 needs some some water pretty soon. Cheryl probably got the same picture I received last night. They had talked about it. They were off to a, a good rain, but then it stopped. Monsoon had stopped, and uh, they really needed it. And then uh, got pictures last night showing. Uh, folks were bragging about finally getting rain. It did not look monsoonal as far as the volume, but at least it was moisture. But uh, I would just point out there's a difference in uh, USDA and USDA is out of shape with respect to uh, acreage crop size. All right. Well, you know, uh, just just a second, uh, Pat, you know, of course, People are bemoaning a little bit the lack of heat units. Um, that's a problem we don't have out here in the far west. Um, it's It's been extremely hot, um, and, you know, I, I think people's crop are, are suffering a little bit, even if they've been able to get water on it. I mean, when you have 115-degree highs 
you've got lows at, you know, 85 degrees, and, you know, between 80 and 85, those plants start to kick off some fruit. Um, I wouldn't say that, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of decent cotton out here, but not uh, not anything to get too excited about right now, as as these people are trying to work through all this this heat and Gerald, making not, sure they've got enough you. water. Yeah, but not to pick on you, Gerald, but just <laughs> and and I, I mean this is a sad state of affairs. I'm not trying to be funny, but uh, <laughs> you've got the heat, but unfortunately you don't have any cotton out there anymore. Uh, no, that's that's right. I mean, you know. But, we, we could lose everything, and it would be a, a rounding error. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it wouldn't equal Lamb County. Uh, no. but, uh, but I did see, Gerald, as you say, that uh, that Arizona was very concerned about shedding fruit. I, I may have not – I don't think I'm misrepresenting that, but uh, obviously California would be. But what do you have, 40,000 acres of upland? I'm not sure how much. In California, yeah, that's yeah. what the last estimate, 40,000 acres of upland. And, and yeah. uh, um, you know, every one of those acres are under a seed contract, most likely, maybe except for the stuff along the river. But, um, uh, you know, most of the stuff in the San Joaquin Valley and in the Imperial Valley is, is on a seed contract. But, that, uh, yeah. I, I would, the three bales is just going to be two. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, it'll, you know, it'll be two, two and a half instead of three, three and a half if it's throwing this, this fruit off, particularly in Arizona. I mean, it's just been brutal out there. And really for the last four or five days, it's been pr- pretty brutal here. Um, just, I mean, in Bakersfield, one, 110 to, to 114, you know, nighttime lows, 80 to 85. All right. Uh, we've come to the part of our broadcast where we uh, give our outlooks on prices. So we want to we want to go around and get everybody's thoughts on the price range we could see, given the way things look right now. How low we could go in December? How high we could potentially go? Uh, let's start off, uh, John. What are your thoughts? What 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 is your projected range for December cotton? Given the uncertainty that we're in, I, I kind of see us to continue range bound, and I would make that range about 84 up to one limit move above where we are, so 84 to 91. Okay, Kip, what are you? What are you, what's your range? I'm, I'm going to expand that just a little bit and say the low could go down to about 83 in the short term, based on what we know, and I think that about 95 or 96 is uh, is a good sort of uh, of thought for highs on, at least from what we know now. The potential is we could be a little higher than that. I'm not quite as bullish as I was last month because of what USGA did with the crop and the potential there. So that's sort of the range I have right now. Okay, Gerald? Um, You know, 84 to to 94. Okay. OA? Well, those are good numbers. I have to preface my comments to say that I think uh, as long time we're half sold, 50% sold at 85 cents. I'm not selling again until 90 cents, and then I'm holding out. I would probably do a quarter and holding out for 95 cents to sell uh, another 15% and holding out uh, for, for above 95 cents for that remaining 10%. So I'm still relatively bullish, but 
Uh, I think John said it, and Pat. I mean, Pat, you said it. Kip, everybody's basically said it. This uh, we've got another month or two months to see what what this crop, how it develops, and what we see. We can still certainly uh, move above a dollar, depending on what this crop does. And uh, that, that, but they're still uh, half sold at eighty-five cents. Uh, another quarter at ninety cents, and then we just scale on up from there. Just see how big a boy we can be. Like the market. Okay. All right. Well, let's wrap up uh, the meeting and just say thanks. Thanks, OA, for leading us today and doing a great job. We want to thank our cotton panel for being with us. Special thanks to BASF uh, for being our sponsor and making this possible. And thanks you, thank you, the listeners, for being with us. And that concludes this edition of the Ag Market Network. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, everybody.